Eric Fromm once said this. He said to die is poignantly bitter, but the idea of having to die without having lived is unbearable. So today we come to the end of our study of the book of Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, is a guy who had truly lived because his story began as a slave in Egypt. The story of Moses, you'll remember that. He was one of those slaves. It ends today with what we could call two worship services in the promised land. Joshua is a guy who has walked with Moses. He's been a mentor of Moses. He's seen God perform many miracles over the course of years. He's seen Israel blessed. He's seen Israel face hard times. And then he became Moses' successor, Moses' successor, then to become the guy who would lead the children of Israel into victory in the promised land, conquering, possessing this great land that was promised to Abraham so long ago. So we come to chapters 23 and 24. Let's pause just for a moment as we get ready for this teaching. And as uh, Jamie's already suggested, we have concerns. The song has uh, suggested we have these complaints, which is really about uh, valid concerns. Bring all your cares to the Lord, all right? I know that you have people and situations you're concerned about. Why don't you bring those things to the Lord right now? Take a moment and give God thanks for the things that he has done in the past. Consider those things. Has God blessed you? Has he come through for you? I asked someone this morning in our Bible study, someone who's 83 years old, I said, how many years have you worried? (laughs) And we laughed. Because when you think back, very few of the things we've worried about have become real, real problems. Give God thanks. So speak, Lord. We're listening. Thank you for this privilege. In Christ's name, amen. So chapters 23 and 24 of of Joshua, these are Joshua's farewell speeches. I said they are two worship services. The first one in chapter 23 is addressed to all of Israel's leaders. Then when we get to chapter uh, 24, it's addressed not only to the leaders, but it's addressed to the people as well. So it begins in chapter 23, verse 2, where Joshua says to to the elders, look at that, it says to the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials, and he says to them, I am very old. Actually, in the original language, it says, I am old and feeble. And if you'll remember, uh, the last time we were in Joshua, it's actually been three weeks ago, we talked about Caleb. And uh, Caleb, at the age of 85, was, uh, in his own words, just as strong as ever, right? Full of vim and vigor. And he says to Joshua, I want that hill country that kept us out of the promised land 40 years ago. That's what I want. Give me the land of the giants, all right? So contrast... uh, Caleb today with Joshua, who's old and feeble, and I think it gives us a very interesting contrast here, the the fact that that some of us don't fare so well as others when it comes to our health. 
And I think there's been a, a tendency in church to be critical and to think that one of us must be more favored than the other. So we look at that and think, so was Caleb more favored than Joshua? And today as your pastor, I just need you to hear, we don't understand the course of life and we don't understand fully why it is that some people seem to be able to run with all health right up to the very last moments, last breaths of their life, while others just seem to be overtaken with physical, emotional, mental ailments. And therefore, we're just going to give thanks for what God has given us. We're going to pray for those who need our prayers. We're going to rejoice with those who, who are rejoicing. But we're all going to look forward to that day when we come alive on the other side, right, break out of that cocoon with a metamorphosis and have brand new bodies where everything works great and it never fails. Yeah, you better believe it. All right. So I think that's an important word. But we go on in verse 3. Yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done. And then he reminds them how God has fulfilled every one of his promises. And right here is an important application that I need to remind us all that God will fulfill every promise that he has ever made just as it is written in his perfect time. The Bible tells us in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I, I, I like over in 2 Peter 3. Remember this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow at keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Is anybody excited about that day? Yeah, you better believe it. Awesome. Yeah, give God praise for that day. You can do that. That's awesome. So Joshua begins with a reminder. It was the Lord who brought them into the promised land in the first place. It was the Lord who gave them victory after victory. It was because of their relationship with the Lord, their obedience to him, that he was best able to bless them. It is he who will continue to give them victory. Okay, they've, they've conquered the promised land, but yet there are still these pockets that need to be taken. So God will continue to give them victory. And not only that, but there will always be those who try to come against you, and God will be your defender. However, okay, you come to verses 12 and 13. God says, if you forget this, if you walk away from the Lord and serve other gods and you intermarry with people who don't know the Lord God and could care less about the Lord God, and they will, <laughs> okay, we know the story. Uh, go to verse 16, partway through. He says, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. So I, three, see, I see three conclusions here in chapter 23, and then we need to move on to chapter 24. Those three conclusions are verse 6. Notice it. it says, be very strong and careful to obey God's word. Where did we begin our study of the book of Joshua? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For, I am, for the Lord your God 
goes with you wherever you go. And here in the concluding statement, be strong, be careful to obey God's law. Remember, it's about relationship with God, which is emphasized in verse 8. Hold fast to the Lord your God. In verse 11, make it your primary intention to love the Lord your God, which takes us to that one application that we want to be about here at Summit Church. What is that one application? You better believe it. Just let me share with you in cross-reference to all of this Colossians 3. Uh, starting with verse 1, this is what inspired me to this whole idea of all eyes on Jesus. It says here, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your affections on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Do you like that? Yes, you better believe it. Verse 5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, so that kind of gives us a synopsis of the first worship service, the first final word of Joshua in chapter 23, addressing the leaders. Now he's going to address both the leaders and the people. Similar in content, yet uh, much more comprehensive. And before I get into that, let me just go back to this date on uh, June 8th, the Sunday night, all right? Sunday night, June 8th. I have had a meeting with key leaders in our church, board members uh, and uh, staff, where we have just sought God about the future of Summit, and I shared with the church what God is doing in my life, okay? So the meeting with the, 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 the uh, leaders has happened, but now we want to have a meeting to share these same things with you, what God is speaking into my life with those of you who really care about this church and its future, okay? Sunday night, June 8th, moving from just sharing with the leaders to sharing with the entirety of this congregation. So I invite you to join us then. Please RSVP accordingly. Uh, But this is kind of an interesting thing that here we are uh, looking at this progression of teachings and we're seeing the very thing playing out in our church at this moment. So I'm believing God for some pretty awesome things. But this second teaching is also much more dramatic because it takes us back to this place called Shechem. You'll remember that in chapter 8 of our study where the children of Israel made a covenant with God at Mount, at the place uh, between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, a place called Shechem. It's a place where much of Israel's history has unfolded. It's, I brought a picture of it. In fact, it's right there. The Mount Shechem is a place in between. The acoustics are really good so that millions of people could hear Joshua speak at this very place that we're looking at right here. This is the place uh, in the teaching of all the teachings of Joshua that has impacted me as your pastor more than any teaching in the book of Joshua. Because the one thing that I'm holding on to from this time in this study is this idea of building an altar of unfashioned stones. Just let me be an unfashioned stone in the Lord's altar. I think for too long, particularly in my young life as a believer, I was so full of zeal that 
people would talk about me and say, oh, that Michael, watch him. He's a sharp guy. He's going to do amazing things. And, and I literally bought into the idea that look at me, look at what I'm giving to God. I really have something to give to God, as opposed to some of the rest of you who maybe don't have as much as I do, right? Okay, just being really honest here. And the, the older I get, <laughs> and uh, I'm not that old, still just as full of vim and vigor as ever, the more I realize I have nothing to give God. So I give him myself just as an unfashioned stone, and he can do what he wants with me. So that if anything good comes out of it, just praise to him, okay? Because I don't have anything. And if God can use me, God can use anybody, all right? So that's what spoke to me the loudest. This is where we are. Joshua in this teaching now wants to be very clear with the people about what God has done for them. He wants to be very clear that it's God who has delivered on every single promise he's ever made. But I need you to notice that right here he begins to speak in first person as though it's God himself who is speaking to the people. So he's speaking in in what would be called a prophetic tone, a prophetic utterance, if you will. He's speaking what God is giving him as God's mouthpiece, as God's representation, all right? And this is how it plays out. So let's walk through this. This is such an important part of the teaching, friends. Just believe God to speak into your life. Verse 2, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. In, In the Old English, it says, thus saith the Lord. All right, exactly. Voice of authority, thus saith the Lord. Verse 3, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron into Egypt. Verse 6, I brought your people out of Egypt. Verse 8, I brought you to the land of the Amorites and gave them into your hands. Verse 10, I delivered you from Balaam's foolishness. Verse 11, I gave you victory over the Canaanites. Verse 12, I sent the hornet ahead of you. Now, that's, we, don't, we don't have evidence that there was a literal hornet swarm that, that did something here, but it's the idea that God sent a sting ahead of the people that, that caused their enemies to flee. That's what's going on here. Verse 13, I gave you a land and cities that you neither worked for nor did you develop. So now we come to the conclusion right here. This is the crux of the teaching today. Let's go. Just walking through the scriptures. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Oh my goodness, you guys. There is such a spirit of anxiety in the room right now hearing that rain. What am I to do? I mean, God has a word for you, and some of you are just so fearful. Even some of you telling me that you have post-traumatic traumatic stress disorder from previous floods. Let's just get in the peace of the Lord for a moment. Thank you, God, for the water's calming. Awesome. Thank you, God. We need to hear from you, and we refuse to allow the rain to distract us. Thank you, God. It's a privilege 
to be reminded who you are and the good things that you are about. We trust you, Lord. We do. Thank you, God. Take a breath. My kids say breathe, Dad. Breathe. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's go on. Wow. (laughs) Am I going to battle today or what? (laughs) If I sit down, will it stop? (laughs) Be glorified, Lord. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Did you see it accelerated right there? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And if you read this, you will find three times the Lord challenging the people to serve the Lord. And three times the people respond, we will. Verse 18, we will. Verse 21, we will. Verse 24, we will. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing what's going on here? Yeah. So, so how many times... Do we come to a place like this in the Bible? If we've been walking with the Lord, how many times do we come to a place like this and we see words like Joshua chapter 24 and we say, I will. I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what anybody else decides to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We go to conferences and we say, I'm going to serve the Lord more fully. Preachers fire us up. And in the heat of the emotion, we say, I will. I have decided to follow Jesus. And and though no one else joins me, still I will follow. Right? Now look what Joshua says in verse 19. You are not able to serve the Lord. Hear it. You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But then the people say in verse 21, no, we will serve the Lord. So now look what Joshua says in verse 22. He says, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And you can almost hear Joshua just under his breath say, but you can't. You can't serve the Lord. I mean, if the scriptures should do anything for us, particularly the Old Testament, they should remind us, we can't. 
I can't. But there's good news in the we can't because I know as Americans we were raised with, you know, can't died a long time ago. And there's good news in the we can't. We can't, but God can. Because if we could be good enough to somehow please God and earn God's favor, then God would have never have allowed his son Jesus to go to the cross. You better believe it. Better believe it. Joshua says, you can't serve the Lord by your determination alone. His holiness exceeds anything that you will ever be able to muster up. So the people says, no, we will serve the Lord. To which Joshua says, you're witnessing against yourself because you're making promises to God that you cannot keep. And guess what book follows the book of Joshua? The book of Judges. And what happens in the book of Judges? I mean, that's that frustrating part of the Bible that could be called the, the book of vicious cycles. <laughs> right? Because you read it and you want to say, are you kidding me? One minute, the, the people are serving God and they're walking in all these blessings. And then the next minute, they're forgetting God and life is getting difficult. And it just keeps happening. But, you know, following God, being blessed. Forgetting God, now we're blessed and life gets difficult. Oh, and then coming back to God and being blessed again. Oh, we just forgot again and now it's going the other way. It's the, it's the, it's the book of, of vicious cycles to which we need to recognize that what we see in them is what is true of us. We want to say, we read it and we say, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with these people? And then we say, wait a minute, that's my story. That I am unable to, to do anything for the Lord, whether it be by decree, resolution, commitment, or determination, I can't. I can't. Oh, I don't know how many times I've, I've taken teenagers... Because, you know, a lot of my ministry was youth ministry. Take them to camps. Take them to conferences. And I would always lead the way. Always lead the way to, to the altar. You know, the altar calls is always something like this. You know, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'd jet down there because I was like, oh, God, let him follow me down. I'm going. I'm running to the altar. Let him follow me. Let him follow me, Lord. And then one day I realized, no matter how many times I went to the altar, very little was changing in my life. What's wrong? What's wrong? And then, then one day, I was at a, a leaders meeting. Youth pastors, youth leaders from all over the nation. We were planning an international youth convention. You know, it would have 10,000 students there. You know, time to get excited. And we were talking about the final night of the conference. And this was going to be the altar call. Something like, we will serve the Lord. All right? Something like this. I don't remember what it was. And I remember sitting there and thinking my, to myself, this time I'm not moving. I refuse to move. Because if it depends on me to get those kids to respond to God, then that's pretty small. <laughs> and that night when they gave the altar call, rather than moving, I just said, oh Lord, what is going on here? Do these students understand what they're saying? Are they making promises that they can't keep? God, help them to recognize that if they're going to respond to anything, let it be God, I can't do it. Unless you do it, just let me be a lump of clay in your hands. Just let me be an unfashioned stone in your altar. No grand promises. No great commitments. No look at me, God. Look what I'm doing today. Just I can't. But you can. So here I am. 
And I think that's a big part. I know it's a big part of what we need to hear on this day. Here am I. You know? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. But I can't. So Lord, if anything good's going to come out of my life, it's only going to flow from knowing you more. So that's my great desire. I want to know you. You hear it? Are you hearing it? All right. Now I need to walk away from it for just a minute because there's a couple of big problems that we need to look at in this passage. All right. You've already seen them, but I want to take them back to you. Okay. They're both in verse 19. And so let's just walk through these. Notice right away in verse 19, it says he is a jealous God. Is that possible? I mean, isn't jealousy a bad thing? Well, it can be. Misplaced jealousy can be a bad thing. But when you recognize that it comes from the Latin word, our English word comes from the Latin word zealous, from which we get our word zeal, suddenly it takes on a whole new form. Get these definitions that I put out here for you. He is vigilant in guarding what is his. He refuses to share you with any false gods or false religions that are made to destroy you. He refuses to share you with any false ideas, false philosophies, false religions that are out there to take you away from him, that are intended to destroy you. His feelings, his interests, his enthusiasm are so strong towards you that he would pay the ultimate price for you. He would lay down his life for you. And guess what? That's exactly what he did. He's jealous for you. Would you just turn to the person or persons around you and say, he's jealous for you? You better believe it. Yeah, he is jealous for me. Oh, man, hear it. God loves you. He would fight for you. He would lay down his life for you. The second thing is also in verse 19, if you read on, look what it says. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Really? I mean, doesn't the Bible say the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion? I mean, doesn't the Bible say he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities? Yes, it does say those things. But remember what's going on right here. The people are making promises to God that they will uphold the law. Be careful what you promise to God because if the law does anything for us, it shows us how desperately we need a Savior. If the law does anything, it points us toward what Jesus did for us on the cross. If the law does anything for us, it shows us how desperately we need God and his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. If anything good is ever to come forward from our lives. Because there is no amount of commitment, of determination on our part that will ever merit God's pardon, God's forgiveness, or enable us to do anything that is worthy of his holiness. That's just the way it is in God's economy. Instead, God's kindness must be received by faith, by putting our trust in the one that he sent to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus Christ came lived a life we could never live, 
taking our sins upon himself to the cross and then to the grave and then destroying them once and for all for its faith in him. So three times the people say, we will serve the Lord, to which Joshua says, you can't. And then he takes it a step further and he says, you're witnesses against yourself because here you are, you're making these promises and you're not going to complete them. And we go to the book of Judges next and we say, it's true. And then we just have to stop and say, Wait a minute, that's my story. And we live these frustrated, defeated Christian lives because on one side, we know what we're supposed to be and we can put on a pretty good show at church, but that's not what's playing out in the everyday affairs of our lives. There's some kind of conflict going on here. What is going on? And as your pastor, I need you to hear from me. I can't. I have nothing in myself to stand before you on. You see, it's only by his grace that I am able to even get up here and, and, and speak to you. So before you write me off, hear what I'm saying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You can follow me as I'm following Jesus, but to the point that I'm missing it, you keep your eyes on Jesus, and I'll do the same thing with you. Is that a deal or what? You better believe it, absolutely. If the Christian experience has done anything for me, it's shown me I can't, but he can't. And that's why we love around here so much. One of the reasons, all eyes on Jesus. Don't get your eyes on me, I just may disappoint you. And I have a hunch you feel the exact same way. You know, the big difference between religion and and Christianity can really be summed up with these two words that have become so important to me. See, the word to define religion is really the word D-O. Do enough of the right things and just maybe God will accept you. Right? I mean, you know, God must be proud of me once in a while. I get it right. Do. There are a couple of problems with do. I mean, the first problem with do is honestly, when do you know you've done enough? And doesn't it only result in a vicious cycle of legalism? And the second thing is the Bible says that we can never do enough. As I said, if we could, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. But listen to these verses. This is Romans 3.23, the first part of the verse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we do not live lives that gain us access to the throne room of God, to be in God's presence. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts, the best we can do, are like filthy rags, just like a pile of old rags in the garage, right? That's the best we can do. Religions are about do, and unfortunately, oftentimes in Christian circles, it becomes nothing more than religion, but the truth of Christianity is that it can be summed up with the word D-O-N-E. Jesus has done for us that which we could never do for ourselves. He lived the perfect life we could never live. He died the death that we deserve. In fact, if you read on in these two verses, look what it says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, made right, right freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. The Bible also says that our best deeds are only a pile of filthy rags. But if you read before that, it says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, and we are the clay. 
You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Let me just be a work in the Father's hands. Nothing more than a lump of clay. I've got nothing to give you, God, but I give you me in my unfashioned form. Here I am. But you know, it's not enough just to know that. I mean, it's, it's not enough to know that we have a sin problem, and it's not enough to know that, that Jesus is Lord and that he died for our sins. I mean, James tells us that demons believe Jesus is Lord and they tremble. But what's the difference? Will you put your life in his hands? Will you continue saying, I'm, I'm going to go my own independent way and once in a while I'll give God a little peace? Or will you say, no, I'm sick and tired of going my own independent way and today I recognize I need to turn around and put my life in, in God's hands. There's an old song that uh, was on my mind while, while I was writing this. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. <laughs> Finding more power than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. And you talk about a mixed audience here. I mean, that's for you, seeker. You who, who don't know Christ yet in a personal way. Come and learn to lean on him. It's, it's for you, mature follower. I don't care how long you've been walking with him or how many verses you know. It's still the same word. I'm just learning to lean on Jesus. And out of that, somehow, he will be glorified. Hear the word of God and respond. Hear the word of God and come home. God has great plans for you. It gets all mixed, it gets all mixed up in the name of religion. And we could say, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to serve the Lord. And we'll just go out and fall flat on our face. Peter did it. I do it. Now, I'm just learning to lean. Yeah. Let God speak that into your heart. Just hear it. We're all in the same place. We're all just as messed up, just one like the other, and we all need him just as much. Me as much as you. You who allow yourself to be hammered. Oh, if that pastor ever knew what I deal with, he would never accept me. Jesus accepts you. It says, because of him, the one who was tempted in every way you are, yet was without sin, because of him you have full access now through him to his throne room, to his presence. It says, come boldly and receive his favor. Receive mercy. Receive grace. Receive it in your hour of need. Receive it right now. Thank you, Lord for reminding us today we can't but you can that's good news well we tried our whole lives to prove something that just hasn't held, hasn't held true no matter how much effort we put forth no matter how many times we show up or climb down the altar so today it's all about you we just give ourselves to you maybe someone for the first time saying yeah maybe someone who's been walking with you for a long long time we put ourselves in your hands hallelujah and the rain 